0: All right, here we go. Quiet. Roll up.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Big Picture Podcast. You know us, we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday. And at least we try to put it into some sort of context. I don't know how it <laughs> works for you. But um, seated across the microphone from me, as always, is Film Buff Online Editor-in-Chief,
0: Rich Drees. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Contributing Editor, Natasha Bogutsky.
1: How did that work? Did, did that feel a, It a good feels flow? a little
0: looser? Yeah, loose-ier. Yeah. I We've mean, been
1: doing this for almost three years. I mean, uh, it's time to a little get bit away from it. longer than
0: that. So we started this before the pandemic. Ah. Uh, we, we do take long breaks, though, which we need to still s- not do.
1: After all this time, <laughs> it feels only right that we don't use the same scripted intro anymore. I know. Right, guys? I know.
0: We got w uh, I know. I think for the last year I've been meaning to sit down and write a new one, but. A,
1: why let me boy. just uh, let me just freestyle it for a bit let's see what feels right okay how do you guys feel about this we'll see we'll see <laughs> let us know oh
0: boy okay well um we do have a second retro double feature review of fright night coming up later in the episode uh this is already... halloween day yes and i'm hoping to get this done and <laughs> posted before halloween ends but even if you're listening to it on All Saints Day, All Souls Day, November 3rd, 4th, 5th, whatever. Um, Enjoy the extended spooky season, I guess. Um, (laughs)
1: Speaking of spooky season, with the release of next year's Nosferatu, Mm -hmm. I thought come spooky season, we could open with Nosferatu versus Nosferatu, 22 versus Herzog 79.
0: What, What about the original German one?
1: That's twenty two.
0: Oh 22. oh, 22. Okay, I thought you I was never mind. Brain fart on something. Um yeah, sure. I I'm down I, Herzog is a slight blind spot for me. I've only seen like two or three of his films. <laughs> this is really so, the only one I've seen, but so I, yeah, so I need to kind of dig into that a little bit more.
1: I actually saw Herzog. I was raised on the seventy nine Herzog version. And then later your on,
0: brother's, we've we've had discussions about your mother. <laughs>
1: huh? No, that oh. had nothing to do
0: with. Them. Oh, wasn't your mom who showed you that? Because well, yeah. I mean, she showed you every other, yeah, age inappropriate thing.
1: <laughs> hey, it's Nosferatu. I know, but yeah, no, I was raised on the '79 version, and uh it wasn't until later on because it was hard to track down on VHS at the time. It took me forever to actually get around to see the
0: the original silent.
1: Yeah, because mm. it was just hard to get my hands on, mm-hmm. and. Then, and then I did, and I was like, oh, oh, they're both good. They're <laughs> on par with each other. Yes. So, yeah, that'll be something to talk about, okay. particularly with I the will, opening of uh, Robert I will Eggers next make a year. note
0: of it and try not to lose that post-it note in the next uh, 48 weeks or so.
1: I'll put it in my calendar for <laughs> October 1st of next year.
0: <laughs> I like that idea.
1: Let I me will. do it now before That's, I freaking forget, that, I sounds, will. <laughs> that
0: sounds responsible and reasonable.
1: Oh wait, I'm being responsible. Are you okay?
0: I don't know. I don't <laughs> think so. Um
1: well, Am I okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> true. Um anyways, uh, there's not been a whole lot of news this past week. SAG strike is still going on. Over this past weekend there was some talk that maybe they were close to a deal, but as of this afternoon on Halloween day, no news. So
1: Not surprised. Yeah,
0: which does not bode well. But um I think the only really big news story uh that's kind of out there um was the very shocking and sudden uh news that uh Matthew Perry star of Friends uh, had passed away.
1: Yeah, I so I was actually in the middle of um my vampire slumber party with my girlfriends the other night and we're sitting the mm-hmm. dinner table and then all of a sudden phones started pinging around the table really oh, wow. quick like okay. news was hitting and uh, everyone everyone thought it was like some sort of amber alert or something and they picked it up and <laughs> and it was yeah. notification uh, that matthew perry had passed and like one person burst into tears the other one had to call their mom it was it was yeah, not easy
0: i was out of town, uh, visiting my o- uh, my one of my older brothers. His do- his youngest daughter, was in uh, her high school play, her senior year. They were doing uh, Gaslight, and it was a fantastic production. And I came out of the theater as we we're walking to the car, and I pulled my phone out to turn turn the uh, buzzer back on, yeah. the ringer back on, and you know, I saw you know. Like, my phone had blown up with a bunch of messages. Um, Very grateful that, of course, uh, our partner in crime at Phone Buff Online, uh, Bill Gattavascus, had stepped in and took care of putting up the notification on our Facebook page uh, where we do do those uh, memorials. Um, But it kind of hit me weird. Um, We were—when I was on the drive down to my brother's, I was listening to uh some podcasts. I was listening to uh, the Fly on the Wall podcast with Dana Carvey mm. and um uh David Spade. And they had done a very like they did a live podcast at the Groundlings Theater about uh, Phil Hartman. They had some other uh Phil Hartman's ca- uh cast members from Saturday Night Live, one of the writers from that era on stage and they were just reminiscing about Phil and what a great guy he was and some of their favorite bits of his things like that and towards the end they started to talk about what you know what they missed about Phil and um I can't remember whom it was but they said the thing they miss most about Phil is getting to see where his career was going to go um he he very much had that potential to kind of go into a dramatic vein if he wanted to continue you know comedy roles probably even jumping back and forth and you know so that was kind of I guess in the the back of my head when you know I see this news about Matthew Perry you know just a few hours later and thinking well, you know, first of all, I was like, oh, I didn't realize he was the exact same age as me. He's 54. Mm-hmm. And, it, but, you know, I was like, oh. you know, obviously I'm 54. I'm going to say that's too young to go. Um, uh, And I don't think anybody
1: would. I would agree that <laughs> yeah. at 54 you're too young mm-hmm.
0: to go. But, uh, But
1: I understand what you mean about the unlimited potential mm-hmm. that a human being could have across not just the influence that they have on others but across their career Mm -hmm. and being gone too soon really hits hard um two in particular that that hit me uh over my my lifespan obviously heath ledger Mm -hmm. i i was in bed when i got when my father called my mom and it was one like one or two Mm a.m asking if i knew an actor named heath ledger she woke me up and told me, and I burst into tears. Mm-hmm. And the other one, um, which is, well, it, it hits hard every single time I watch Fright Night.
0: Uh, okay, yeah. I figured as much. Yeah, um, Anton
1: Yelchin. Because mm-hmm. I had been a fan of his ever since he was a child actor back in, like, Along Came a Spider, Hearts <laughs> in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Like, when he was, like, 10 or 11, I mm-hmm. watched him grow up on screen. So having his demise come so soon really hit yes. Yeah.
0: me. Yes. Oh, God. They're, they're, they're both tragedies. I re- This is weird. I remember where I was when I found out about Heath Ledger. I don't think I've told this story on the podcast. I've told you this, though. I was at a movie theater in line for a screening of Teeth of all movies and uh we're inside the theater in like the main hallway and we're all lined up against the wall going back and i'm standing literally standing next to a dark night poster mm-hmm. when the news starts bubbling back from somebody who saw it on their phone or got a message or something you know from closer to the front of the line so that was
1: it made, it made watching dark Knight very hard mm-hmm. um I I actually, so I went to see the movie and then my mom and I walked over to uh, a church bazaar afterwards for a bite to eat and I was shaking after I walked out of Dark Knight and I was just a mess. She had to sit me down on a curb because Mm -hmm. it was like, it was like I went into like a diabetic shock. (laughs) Like that's just how much I was shaking and how pale I was because- knowing that there was the possibility that the role could have affected him or you know whatever it was yes yeah i I know what you're saying but not like wanting to get into the i don't want to get into speculation on it Mm -hmm. but it it was just i was very young and all of that just hit me all at once Um, and i know that for many generations friends was a huge part of growing up it still is
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, well well, my niece who you know who just turned 18 um yeah we didn't tell her until like the next morning or uh, no i'm sorry later on in the evening once we were back at the house and you know i just you know i realized at that moment that you know she's part of a whole generation that just knew friends through cycles and cycles and cycles of reruns it was, you know, kind of an omnipresent thing. It was always so popular. And
1: And it's gotten even more popular with age, particularly over the last like five, mm-hmm. six years. You had you had the um the anniversaries, you had the pandemic. During the pandemic, people were catching up on so many things. Their parents had the chance to actually sit down with their kids and introduce them to something that was important to them growing up or or something that had left a, a lasting impression. And I'm seeing that more and more on social media through through TikTok, through this, through that, um, Friends, Will and Grace, Sex in the City, uh, it's having an effect on our our newest generations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a friend of mine who just turned 25, and the other day she she made a post and she said, uh, "I'm just entering my third season of Friends
0: for the first time."
1: No oh. no, like if she, oh, was, if she on was friends, oh, she became okay. entering the I third Ooh, season that's, of the show.
0: It's an interesting way to uh track time, I guess. Um
1: <laughs> And um I mean when I when I turned twenty five, the first thing out of my in my brain was some like at hot of you know, <laughs> a quarter of a century really makes a girl think. But I liked how she kind of updated what twenty five meant to mm-hmm. her.
0: Well, I mean, okay. Um, and
1: this did not go over well with her. It mm, really hit hard.
0: Oh, I imagine like, so. Because it
1: was like three uh, days after.
0: Yeah. There were, you know, everybody, I think, you know, was somehow moved. Or at least anybody who was empathetic and who knew about his struggles. Um, yeah. And, you know, as of now, there's no definitive coroner's cause of death um, toxicology reports are still weeks away, so we're not going to even speculate as to what might have happened. But there were some people out there who were like, who who were very disrespectful, I think. Um, and quite honestly, anybody who was like, well, he, you know, who's kind of into any of those anti-vax conspiracy theories, who were like, well, he took the vax shot, it must have been a spiked protein that got to his heart, and blah blah blah. You can all just fuck off into the sun forever, because. It was not appropriate and, quite honestly, disgusting and gross.
1: Let's just say that any speculations over the death of someone,
0: Mm. I
1: I, I wouldn't want it done to me. No. Why do it to someone else? We're all human. We all bleed Mm -hmm. red at the end of the day.
0: True. True. Um, and there's also so much other great work that he did, and I'm not, and I'm just talking about his acting work. So let's kind of focus on that. He was very proud of Fools Rush In as a rom com. He thought that was some of his best work. Uh, he did a couple of other TV series. Perhaps the most notable one to me, at least is Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. I
1: loved him when he showed up for, like, one episode of West Wing.
0: (laughs) Well... He was
1: fantastic in that.
0: And him working with Aaron Sorkin got him uh, cast, and basically the part of Matt Albee was written for him by Aaron Sorkin. And, Mm. of course, Sorkin was smart enough to team him up with Bradley Whitford, and... Sunday late afternoon when I got home I was just like I'm just gonna pull my Studio 60 DVD set off the off the shelf watch one maybe two episodes and um just to um kick back and you know enjoy you know watching their chemistry together and stuff like that it is now Tuesday and I am I am midway I paused uh midway through episode twenty. Do you have <laughs> to record this? Do you this. have
1: the uh, discs for this or is... Yes I do. Okay. Yes. I was gonna say, if you know where that's streaming, tell us.
0: Um, I'm not sure. I'm sure where there that are gonna is. be many
1: people who are interested. Okay,
0: just taking a look here. It looks like it is available on Amazon Prime Video. Oof. They are charging two bucks an episode to watch, though, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, same on YouTube and Google Play. Uh, but, you know, give it a couple of episodes. One evening you may find yourself liking it and you find out 24 bucks for the whole uh, season might be a worthwhile investment to, You know, for watching over several nights. But beyond that, though, I mean, you know, like I mentioned before, he had his issues that he struggled with but it was never about his own struggles he always made sure he was helping when he could other people with their struggles as well um he was very clear about that and making that a part of his life's work especially you know in you know the last 10 15 years um he created uh, what was called the Perry House in Malibu California which was a sober living facility for men he wrote a play called the end of longing which is also about his struggles with alcohol and things like that. And he wrote something here and I found it online. I think this is from his book that came out last year. So, um, but I do want to read it uh, and as a way to um, hopefully remember him by when I die, I know people will talk about friends, 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 and I'm glad of that. Happy. I've done some solid work as an actor as well as giving people multiple chances to make fun of my struggles on the world wide web but when I die as far as my so called accomplishments go it would be nice if friends were listed far behind the things I did to try to help other people I know it won't happen but it would be nice and I think
1: as Billy Joel said only the good die young.
0: Mm-hmm. And if I may end this on an entirely schmaltzy note, he was there for them. So no! I know, I know. I'm sort of, I part of me that hates the... sincere em- and <laughs> sincere emotions is kind of mad at me right now. But I, I do feel that way sincerely. He was there for people, despite or maybe because of the old things he was dealing with. So, you know, I think that marks a life well lived
1: how <laughs> do you segue out of that
0: i know that's the only problem here <laughs> um, I he would be the, all he would be the first person to probably to laugh at us about trying to segue out of something <laughs> like this um i saw okay uh, you said
1: you were catching up with um studio Steven's.
0: six studio 60 which honestly great performances i know this show kind of got like roasted when it came out but there's some really great work in here um I I just love the show and by the time you get to the Christmas episode um with the with the uh, dis- with the displaced uh musicians jazz musicians from New Orleans because of Katrina language. and they were there and you know they did something nice to help these musicians get some money to send back to their families you know at Christmas time You know, it's just like I am totally on board with this (laughs) thing. I don't care if the emotions get big sometime or what have you, and I kind of don't care that the sketch show that all these people work on, the stuff you see isn't always, you know, really funny, as funny as we're supposed to believe it is. I think that's kind of beside the point because it's about the people and not their work so much. Mm. So I would say, you know, if you can give it a give it a watch.
1: All right. Uh I know that I haven't really had the chance to kind of catch up with a whole lot of things recently. Um just been really busy. But I did manage to catch up with uh Mr. Malcolm's List the other day. Oh? Yeah, it, it was a cute little Regency film that kind of slipped under the radar with Frida Pinto, Zowie Austin, and uh, a few others. Um came out like two years ago. Mm-hmm. It. it it was nice it definitely caught the uh the bridgerton wave but <laughs> again went under the went under the radar in the theatrical release department mm-hmm. um nice way to spend an afternoon currently right now i'm doing my spooky season rewatch of uh you want to answer that question <laughs> or finish that sentence rich
0: penny dreadful yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: uh And then just more or less focusing on catching up with some of the stuff for this podcast that Mm I had never seen, like last week's um, Susperia Argento. and uh,
0: This week's uh, double feature on Fright Night. And you have been a little grumbly to me in messages about this. (laughs) And um, so before we dive into that, um, I just want to bring up one thing. Yes. This was your idea.
1: <laughs> I've always heard the original Fright Night is amazing.
0: I had not seen either of them, so this was a nice way to plug a hole for me. Um, and honestly, maybe it's because of the eighties aesthetic, and it was something new from the eighties that I hadn't seen. I enjoyed that one a little bit more. I think it had. Okay, let's get right into it then. Oh boy, I, okay. here we go. Okay, um, buckle up, okay <laughs> I think the '80s one had a little bit more sense of fun about it.
1: Oh, f- Tony totally. Yes, it was definitely more fun. Okay, more campy. It mm-hmm. goes hardcore into the uh, the schlock version of horror uh, horror, horror comedies hosts. and horror hosts, and mm-hmm. you can tell Peter Vin- Vincent is raped uh, from Peter Cushing's idea.
0: Oh yeah. yeah the- yeah, uh, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Um,
1: but I, I just no, no.
0: You didn't like you, you, you had seen obviously. Call back to ten minutes ago here. Uh, you saw the Anton Yelchin version.
1: I, I do have a special place in my heart for the 2011 version because it's the only move. It's the only actual uh, event that my brother and I went and saw together. It's the only okay. time we've ever actually spent time as a brother and sister Mm -hmm. uh he took me to see that when it first came out it's written by marnie nixon uh who Um, is famous for fucking writing buffy so of course her her writing skills are a little stronger in the vampire department Mm -hmm.
0: yes she is definitely somebody you would want to go to i uh, i think she's moving she tried to move away from Buffy the the vibe of Buffy a little bit. Yeah. But she's still, you know, strong with vampire lore and stuff. There are things that happen in the remake script though that I don't think work as well as how things work in the original. Um the original is very much the original is very much a boy who cried wolf story. Would you would you not agree? It's Uh... he discovers something Nobody believes him, and he keeps trying to get people to believe him until finally they do.
1: But you do realize the whole point of Boy Who Cried Wolf is that the last time no one comes to his aid because no one fucking believes
0: him. Well, it gets to a certain point where you can't do that because otherwise it's just a bummer of a movie. But I think the, the beginning premise is, you know, there, Okay. And then you kind of go into a yeah, mo- a mode where you're the playing with some of the
1: really fucking pissed me off the entire movie. I didn't like a single one of them from the original. I particularly Charlie. I wanted William to take Ragsdale. His, I wanted to take his head off myself.
0: <laughs> well, uh, he was
1: annoying. He it, I, the thing that the new film does so well that the original fails to do is he only turns investigator when it personally starts to affect his life. When there is a sense of guilt over possibly not believing a friend and then something happening to them. Okay. The original one, he's a nosy little busybody who has it fucking coming. The rear window isk of it all states that. And I'm sorry, you got your girlfriend in bed with you after you bitched and bitched and bitched that she's not going to fuck you for a year, and then... Wow. Wait, hang on. (laughs) She doesn't want to fuck you for a year. She's been blue-balling you. You bitch about it. Then, all of a sudden, she's willing to give herself to you, Despite the fact she's terrified of of her uh, of what it's gonna feel like of being nervous of not being ready, and then you turn her your back on her in the same fucking scene because oh someone's carrying a coffin, I'm sorry she had every right to be as pissed as she was
0: wow um
1: in the first four minutes of the movie. Yeah, I know. I saw it. I know. <laughs> um, I'm just saying for the people who are watching who didn't.
0: Uh, that's – that is some stro- – first of all, though, how about that one coming down out of the sky and up the street to the window?
1: How about the one in the remake the that's in the car?
0: That's really good, too. That was actually really good. I did like that. And um, I
1: actually um, noticed that the way that they did it with spinning the camera and everything is reminiscent of what we saw a few years later in Atomic Blonde. Okay. I also
0: agree. Children of Men. Um, mm.
1: I haven't seen and, that in so long. I need to rewatch it. Okay.
0: And did you realize who the person in the other car was that kind of hits them? And then gets attacked by the Yeah, vampire. it's Chris Sarandon. Okay, from the original. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. God,
1: I noticed that almost immediately. Okay, like, good. Even though I hadn't seen the original, I was very well aware
0: that <laughs> okay. Prince
1: Humperdink turned, you know, neckbiter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um Now, I think in terms of like 80s teen horror slash sci-fi, you know, lighthearted, not straight out comedies, but, you know, movies like that. Genre films; these kids weren't quite as unctuous as some of the other ones have been. Some other characters, some other films. I I do think um, Evo slash Ed in the original is is a bit too much. A bit
1: too much for a while. I thought he was simple.
0: He's not as bad as some other movies. Some more you know straight out comedy movies in their portrayal of nerds, like one of the guy or just one of the boys um, and a couple of other films where they have like these little nerd characters off on the side who just talk in weird accents because they like Star Trek or, but they can't say Star Trek and stuff like that. And so he's not as bad as some of those, but the eighties were a bad time for movies and Hollywood depicting nerdy characters. Um, I
1: did have some good things okay. about the original before we start getting into the remake section because I don't want to forget about that. Okay. Um, I did like Chris Sarandon as Jerry. Mm-hmm. I thought he was charismatic. I did some research. I like, uh, I like that the fruit theme carried over into the remake. By the way, because um, the idea behind that was is that uh, Jerry is descended from a fruit bat. Yes. And so it's used to cleanse his palate after feeding. Uh, so I thought that was a nice little nice little uh, thing. Um, I-, I loved Roddy McDowell.
0: He is just fantastic. He
1: is really good in this. I've always thought that Roddy – I'm going to really piss some people off. I always <laughs> thought Roddy was a better actor than Malcolm because Malcolm has a tendency to go very big. Mm-hmm. Roddy has a tendency of being more subtle, being more realistic, and grounding his characters a little bit more. Um, and I caught that actually when I first saw the uh, Elizabeth Taylor 63 Cleopatra when he played Octavian.
0: Oh yes. yes.
1: Everything about him uh, kind of portrayed this idea of silent but deadly when he did that. And I Love that about him. Here he he's definitely riffing on Peter Cushing um from like the hammer, some of the hammer films and stuff like that. This Mm -hmm. whole thing kind of screams We wish we were a Hammer film, but we caught the ride a little too late. So now we can only do his parody. There's
0: definitely a hammer influence in the original.
1: Um I even like the meta ish of yeah. It, the only thing people want to see is masked uh, masked men going around killing young virgins, uh, so I thought that was a nice little mm-hmm. snark to the the slasher genre. Uh, Roddy, I think, is fantastic. <laughs> um,
0: I, I oh boy, I, I have things like... to say
1: about that club scene. Oh.
0: <laughs> I do like Yeah, it's it's there's a level of creepiness to it now. That's just creepiness. Horrible, horrible, horrible
1: creepiness. to watch.
0: Creepiness. I do like He's though. Penny. I know. I well, if you really want to look at things, so oh, is no, no, Edward no. Cullen's in Twilight.
1: Uh, but but the, di- but the difference is is he is also living the life of a teenager. That's true. I'm not defending Twilight. Yes, it's absolutely true. He's also a pedo.
0: <laughs> Pretty much
1: anyone who is a vampire has a little bit of that in them no matter what age of the human you're going after because you're always going to be older than they are.
0: Well, yes, by a ridiculous amount. Um
1: but I think the difference between really quickly between getting between a
0: 400 year old vampire and a 17 year old girl
1: well no no, that's not even what i'm getting at between the original club scene and the new club scene is that in the original he's specifically targeting um amy as almost like a reincarnated love Mm -hmm. interest um And turning her from girl to woman. Did you see how her hair changed during the fucking club scene? Uh, Yeah, fuck off. But in the new one, he's not targeting her because he has really any interest over her. He's targeting her because he is an animal. Mm -hmm. He's claiming He is stealing. He's taking her because he doesn't really care, but he knows Charlie
0: cares. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a bit more simplistic. I think the original at least, yes, it's, you know, oh, my long lost love. It's something that we saw in – Dark shadows.
1: Brom Stoker's Dracula, uh, Bram which, Stoker's, which it, does it better because she obviously. Well, we still, see it later
0: in Brom Stoker's Dracula, but
1: yeah, but I mean, like in the ninety-four or, or sorry, is it ninety-two or 90 Somewhere. One in of there. Them. Yeah, but um, in that one, it I feel like it's okay because they do sort of imply through mm-hmm. um moments where she has where she's having flashbacks over mm-hmm. dinner. Where she goes, "You know, and what about the princess? There's always a princess, and as we see her, she starts to cry. Her face is a river, the river that she died in. It's implied that she sort of remembers mm-hmm. or gets ideas that of a past life. Yes, it, I mean here it's... there is no implication of that at all.
0: Does there need to be, or maybe it's the implication is that No, it's just a coincidence that she looks like his long-lost love, and that's what drives him to do what he does. It doesn't have to pay off like that. But Um, he doesn't –
1: but then after capturing her – It's
0: underexplored.
1: Yeah, but then after capturing her, he has no desire to truly protect her. There's a fucking stake sitting right in front of her when he locks Charlie in with her.
0: Well, that's him taunting Charlie.
1: But he, he loves but her. he had
0: he had the he felt, well, I've turned her forgetting perhaps that, you know, if he's killed before sunup, she'll revert. So that's a that's a great way to raise stakes. No pun intended.
1: <laughs> no, it's a great way to but, raise stakes. But from a story point, the story point does not work because if this man really loved her so much because of her possible connection to a long lost love there is no way in hell he would jeopardize her by putting her in danger like that
0: depends was his love for her greater or less than his need to torment charlie again it's you know we can argue this back and, and forth and come up with why excuses the new one either way so
1: well is because when he throws charlie in her uh in the room and locks him in with her he doesn't really care
0: true he doesn't yeah. care. yeah, it, but, but I think there's a little bit of a lessening of his character because he doesn't have a little bit of tragedy to his backstory.
1: I don't want tragedy. Well, that's it's <laughs> been done so many times that we have forgotten that vampires, going back to the original Dracula mm-hmm. are predators. They are animals. They turn, they feed. Sex, even for them, isn't even really a thing. It's all the Mm bloodlust that is the orgasm for them.
0: Yeah, but I would say, though, that makes, by making him more animalistic, I think it makes the character in the new version less smart, less cunning, and far more sloppy, and you're wondering how did this guy survive 400 years when it feels like he leaves a lot of bodies in his wake, he leaves a lot of people disappearing in this movie that we then discover at the end are down in that basement. Um, and I I, I, wa- I but as he repeatedly then, was thinking to myself, how has this guy not been caught over the years already?
1: Well, and I agree with you on that. But for me, I just... I'm so tired of seeing the love sick vampire. <laughs> I want to get back to something a little more well, primal that we've been missing for a while. And I think that uh, the, the remake Fright Night was kind of that tonic that we needed mm-hmm. to go from man to monster.
0: But then again, this is 1985, and then we had 40 years more of love sick vampires. So oh, you know, I it, know. it, it might Soakers, have, Dracula- it might have been a little bit fresher in its time.
1: I would actually say, "Interview with a Vampire" isn't completely lovesick, but it does have sentimentality to it. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: It was um, was it it "Interview with a Vampire" where one of the vampires goes to a midnight screening of Superman the movie and and sees and sees the sun for the first time in that in the heartwarming you know thing at the end when Brad
1: Pitt who is sitting in it in the eighties right Mm -hmm. near the the third act of the film probably in the, like the last 10, 15 minutes of the yeah. movie where he mentions that right. was one of the first time he had, we saw Gone with the Wind, we saw this, we saw that. And through that, he was able to live the life of a mortal and remember what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Which I really like that that idea. Yeah. Um. Now to get to the remake.
0: Okay, well, first of all, Okay. I really liked a lot of the final confrontation, in terms of the effect work, uh, um, the green flame, which is all hand animation, I thought really looked good. Um, I
1: think the oh, best oh, part for oh. me in the sorry the third act um, confrontation stuff, Ed's transformation back to human was so fucking good mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of like the practical.
0: there's a lot of practical effects there's stunt work there was probably stuff going on with wires and they were just you can't digitally paint them out at the time you just had to shoot it and make sure you didn't catch the wires in your shot Uh, and I think it looks fantastic I think you know there's a visceralness to it I mean the new one the ending's fine but I think you know a lot of the the fights even though it was kind of similar in terms of, like, you know, trashing up the room and then breaking open the, you know, the floor and stuff like that to get shafts of sunlight coming in. Um, I, I didn't, uh, I, it it didn't feel weighty, you know, in terms of, like, it was actually there. It was, I mean, granted, we're looking at 12-year-old, you know, digital at work, which might not look 12? as uh 2011
1: oh yeah Twi- yeah, yeah 2011. so um. uh so the uh yeah no i would say that the the last few shots of jerry as the sun is hitting him is not as strong oh, as no. it should have been
0: no. e- even in composition even if it i mean conceptually it looked it, you know it was nicely composed or something like that i'd be cool but it just felt kind of centered i was just like um let's just have him in the center of the screen and and then he disintegrates. But to take a step back for a second, you said you really liked Ed's death in the original?
1: Um I or, liked his transformation. Or his
0: transformation.
1: I did think it went on a little too fucking long, <laughs> but I kind of liked what they were doing mm-hmm. with the hand almost like acid change to the wolf to half wolf to human. Mm-hmm. Um now, they it, like that. In the
0: new version, mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, okay, it's McLovin, um, but you know, and Christopher Mintz will always have to have that, and I'm sorry, uh, but as he, sunlight was hitting him, and he said, "It's okay."
1: He, um, I, it was no sunlight. He got or, stabbed. Or,
0: I'm sorry, stabbed. Excuse me. Um, staked. and staked. <laughs> and as he's disintegrating, and he looks up, and he said, "It's okay." Mm-hmm. That got me, I was like, Oh, that's nice, because there,
1: there is a level of guilt that I think Charlie carries through the whole film, which doesn't work in the original because it's not there because mm-hmm. he's the fucking cause of it all. there's this long line of guilt that Anton has through this film of not believing his friend of not believing his own true nature mm-hmm. of you know, I am a nerd at heart. I'm a dweeb. Why can't I just accept that about myself? Why did I have to try to yeah, be something which, else? Which
0: I think is a different... Take. Take on it. Uh, and
1: But when we get to the staking of Ed in, yeah. in the remake, um, that moment of, it's okay, it's okay, Charlie,
0: mm-hmm.
1: kind of relieves him
0: a of little of that. Yeah. Of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. But the idea of having Ed be the discoverer of the vampire um, and Ed getting turned even before Charlie believes him mm-hmm. fully and also losing the vampire familiar. Um I'm
1: so glad we lost the vampire. Really? familiar. Oh God.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think that character helped served a, a function as like an extra impediment to the heroes to getting to, um, Really? And also, I... come on. Also, when they when when they finally kill him and it's just like all the green stuff comes out through the clothes and everything and he just kind of collapses. I thought that looked really good. That's okay. a great practical. It, uh, it's a great up.
1: practical effect, but what story point does it serve? Cuz honest, this was the first thing that went through my head when it happened. He's not human. But yet he can survive in sunlight. What is he? Um see my point?
0: He's a familiar, might have been kept alive through magics from the vampire that somehow still I don't know. But it was There's it no does, such thing. It,
1: Even Redfield was human.
0: It doesn't matter. I don't think it matters classifying what he was. Then why does
1: it matter if we have him if he serves no purpose?
0: He served a purpose to the other character. In to the help,
1: original, yes. To help,
0: you know, protect him, to help do his Things that he needs done during the daylight, and I do like the idea of transplanting the story to from you know Iowa to Las Vegas suburbs.
1: And I think by also, yeah, transporting it to the Las Vegas suburbs, we can lose that store that that person who says, Oh, I'm the roommate, I live here. Because we need to have someone kind of roaming around the house during the day to protect him. But in Las Vegas, you black out the windows. You say, well, he works on the strip at night. He sleeps during the day. Boom. You don't need him. You don't need that protector because Uh, no one's going to think otherwise of that.
0: I don't know about that, but – We'll agree to disagree on that point. Um, one thing, though, about the Peter Vincent character that kind of bugged me. It, w- it was like the one change I didn't like. I like the idea of okay, maybe he's a Vegas strip magician who does stuff.
1: Kind of Chris Angel vibes. Yeah.
0: Uh, th- oh my god, they were very much <laughs> making fun of uh, Chris Angel. And I love that. But. I wanted him to actually be a non-believer. And then for him to show up later on and go, eh, my parents were actually killed by this guy 20 years ago. It it kind of undercut, I think, the story a little bit. I and it made him agree. seem like a bigger asshole for pushing the kid away whenever he was like, hey, no, there's a real vampire. He's like, eh, vampires don't exist, kid. Go away. I, I think it made him look like a bigger douchebag about it.
1: I'm okay with that.
0: I I... Don't think... I it, I think it hurt the character.
1: I think it helped the character. You want to know why? Why? PTSD.
0: I don't think there's much evidence in the film to say that's why he did that.
1: Come on, McLovin walks into your room even after you admitted that vampires exist, and then you immediately run for your fucking panic room and lock yourself in. That right there is enough. He,
0: I just took him as a coward.
1: No, I took him as he has PTSD from that and will avoid putting himself in danger at all costs because he knows that that vampire is still out there and probably will come for him at any minute. He's not exactly hiding, even though he says, I got really good at surviving and hiding. He's not really hiding. He's out there in the fucking open. So yes, of course he would build a fucking panic room. He comes into my house, where am I going to go? Where am I going to save my skin? I
0: don't know if that was a panic room directly for vampires, though, because he didn't have, like, crosses on the outside of it or anything. That's just your standard rich asshole panic room.
1: But how thick are the doors, and could McLovin get in?
0: Maybe, maybe not, but those would be also be thick doors to shield against, um potential kidnappers armed with guns things like that too so i i think the panic room was not vampire related i think it was just standard rich person paranoia to have a panic room
1: i mean yes but at the exact same time i think there is there is a point to that it's not just yes rich person can have a panic room but for when i saw it He wasn't scared until McLovin said, you're going to have to get close to use that. And then all of a sudden it became very real. Mm -hmm. And that's why he went to where he felt he could be the safest because he knows he has no, he will not be able to get that close. That's why he tells Charlie later on that torch him a vampire on fire is not thinking clearly he goes well if he's on fire how the fuck do i get close enough yes because he even he knows he can't get that close
0: mm-hmm. one thing that was in both films that i liked um and i'm i'm sure it's been in other vampire films uh that are not springing to mind right away but the idea that it's not just a cross that keeps them at bay it's the faith, faith. behind yes. the cross.
1: I always love that little that little mm. nod.
0: Which also makes me think okay um would somebody who's very faithful as a Jew be able to hold up a star of david pendant and force a vampire back or or is it only a christian thing?
1: I that's actually I always love that argument. And I think for when I think of that my brain ghost and i've been seeing where they're like one of the best things i've ever seen in a horror film is when and it's shitty of a character as this guy is benny from the mummy holds up <laughs> oh, yeah. every yeah, yeah. freaking okay, thing yeah. and starts yeah. talking in it to try to deflect Emotep in the Ninety Nine Mummy, mm-hmm. he goes from you know Christian to Jewish to to Muslim to this one to that one. He's trying every single pendant to save his ass, mm-hmm. and I love that, and I would love to see that in something else where it might be of more use.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's interesting stories probably to be found in the idea of somebody of you know of a true faith encountering a vampire and not just going oh it's a spawn of satan because you know it just sounds like the easy cop-out um it is an easy
1: cop-out where you could have
0: this character reflecting on their faith questioning their faith you know exploring what wait why is my faith powerful against them you know what's what is
1: when i think the reasoning
0: there things like that
1: when i think of um vampires and the idea of faith my brain always goes back to the beginning of Bram Stoker's Dracula where they kind of muddy up a little bit of the history of Vlad the Impaler as part of it in the um in the opening prologue about how he fought against the Turks Mm um kind of almost like a, a holy crusade if if I may be so bold and so if you look at it from the original say so Vlad the Impaler and the Turks and all that. Of course he is a man of a Christian faith. Does it have to be backed by the faith of the person holding the relic or does it have to be backed by enough faith that the idol reflects the original faith of the vampire?
0: Mhm. I mean
1: So if possibly, it's a Jewish or, vampire would a a cross work on him?
0: I don't know. Or Is the origin of vampirism not from Vlad the Impaler, but, I don't know, take it back to the- uh, Older. You know, the crucifixion of Christ and say- that the original vampire was actually the person who put the spear into Jesus's side after he died, now or something like that. Now
1: you're getting into lore, that and then you have the spear I of even,
0: Longinus involved in all this other stuff. Well,
1: I, I, you're getting into lore that I've seen in mm-hmm. things like Anne Rice's writing. Oh, okay. Uh, so, which
0: I have not read two words of. I've not read any Anne Rice at all, ever. And I'm keeping talking because you're just looking at me slack jawed right now. Like, what do you mean? I've never read it. You need
1: to at least read the the main three: Interview with a Vampire, Queen of the Damned, and The Vampire Lestat. You have to read those three. You want to talk about J.R.R. Tolkien having a lore in terms <laughs> of horror writing? Sorry, Anne Rice okay. is up there. Okay. Um, she. Oh wow, that is. Oh, that's a stake in my fucking heart.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just uh, all
1: right, we're lots gonna, of things to we're read. We're going to skip past that really quick.
0: <laughs> okay, skating I have by.
1: Two version, I have two copies of that trilogy. I may fucking loan you one, but I'm afraid I won't see it for six years. So <laughs> we're going to skip past that really quick. Um, let's talk a little bit about the females remake to original. Okay. The um, really uh let me just okay, go. state to start it off. Mm-hmm. One of the few things I love about the the remake, comparatively, is it's definitely more character based. You feel a stronger connection to all our characters. You you feel like there is a very strong connection between Charlie and his mom, between Charlie and his girlfriend, even between Charlie and Ed.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I'll I'll give you that. The the mom in the the remake is Toni not
1: Collette.
0: a twit. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. And Tony Collette's fantastic.
1: I'm sorry. So. Even Amy in in the original for a while was a fucking twit. Come on, you're, you are just mesmerized by that hair. And so <laughs> you cannot see past the 80s vibe.
0: No, no, not at all. No. And that's Amanda beers who went on to be uh, the neighbor on Married with Children on uh, yeah. Fox, one of their very early big hits through the 90s alongside The Simpsons.
1: It's not even so much her. It's just the writing of that character is not good. Amy in the new one.
0: She's a little too boss girl for me in the new one, I think. Though.
1: She's real.
0: I mean, she's real, but she's also a little bit too aggressive in terms of the balance that you need between her and Charlie, I think. and
1: Which states that Charlie is a dweeb who is in a world he doesn't quite understand. And doesn't know how to navigate. And I and I think his true power comes in when he accepts that he walks in both worlds. When uh we see him transform and he suits up to go into that basement, all of a sudden he put all the 80s kids who thought they were vampire hunters. I'm looking at you two boys from the from the lost boys <laughs> to shame. He becomes the most competent high school teenager to vampire hunter I've ever seen. And it's not just because of his love for Amy. It's because he learns that in order to truly have the confidence he needs, he needs to stop acting like macho. And he needs to understand that his intelligence is also his strength. And I think that helps when Amy and him are sitting at the hospital and she goes, I knew you were a dweeb. Do you think I wanted some dude? Like Mark or blah, 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 blah. She was willing to accept him for both. And so that helped him. And I, I, I like that. Yeah, at first she was boss girl she was the more dominant of the relationship because he was trying to pretend to be something he wasn't and then once she finally admitted i i love you for who you were as well as who you are now he was able to finally feel comfortable in his own skin again instead of pretending to be something he was not to take both and mold them together and use them to save her at the end.
0: Okay. I, I think the – their dynamic in the original concerning um you know whether they're going to have sex or not, I think felt a little bit more realistic to me. Simply because she loves him but doesn't want – doesn't feel they're ready and then sort of like starts to open herself up just a little bit to say – okay yeah um this is something he really wants even if i'm still unsure about it and then you know he immediately is looking out the window and saying hey is that a coffin and then and she feels hurt by that and i think you know that's all they
1: did was switch places you do realize yeah and i think that
0: works better
1: in terms of their social standing
0: Mm -hmm. i i think i think it's i think just struck me as a little bit more interesting for the eighty, yeah, from the eighties version. But again, this is, I think we're
1: You're, with generational arguing, vibe,
0: not 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 so much generational vibe. I think this is just elements of taste. We're arguing taste no, here I, at this point. I, I, that, you know, I prefer I think at this. this point I, we're
1: arguing I think they both our- work
0: well for the most part. But you know, I, it's just where we're coming from. You know,
1: I think we're arguing mm-hmm. also our experience.
0: That could be it, too. That could be, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> um,
1: I, 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 and not just me. I know when I was in high school, the women definitely had a little more um, control in that area. Because the pe- the girls who were popular who did decide to go for nerds, uh, the, the nerdy boys didn't exactly... Have an idea of how to be hands-on in that area. And, and let me
0: tell so, you, yes, the eighties—they the weren't going for us nerds, so so
1: <laughs> we had to be the one who was like, "It's okay, this is what you do." We had to be the one to to kind of initiate that. Mm-hmm. So coming from twenty eleven, when I was sixteen, I could definitely say that was accurate. Um.
0: Okay then. Okay. That's fine, that's fine too, and <laughs> but I and that's like what I how... like about these discussions too. Because we, you know, <laughs> you know, as great friends as we are, best friends, you know, we still have different experiences that you know influence into... who we are today. Yes, so it's always nice to not just talk movies, but get to know you a little bit too. Aw, thank you. Yeah,
1: I really do love the um, the arc, though that that helps create through this story Mm -hmm. because the original version of charlie for me never felt like he quite manned up to where he needed to be in order to save anyone okay here it felt like in order for charlie to to save the people that he cared about he had to truly first save himself Mm -hmm. but i i gotta talk first david Tennant always fun
0: oh yes but it's colin farrell that steals this movie yeah i mean okay in in terms of having just a character that's there on the screen and you can't take your eyes off him i can see why they decided not to go with a familiar character for for colin farrell because he's just he's magnetic in an animalistic way to call back on that yeah so so you don't need like him to have a sidekick because he's just there
1: yeah no that's
0: that you know that's taking out of the story logic point and just going on screen magnetism
1: it drives me insane that colin farrell is as good as he is you see see him in something in like banshees from inner sharon where where he is bumbly he's awkward Mm -hmm. he almost doesn't know what to say three quarters of the time and is afraid of what's going to come out of his mouth the other quarter um, and then you put him in something like this where, oh my God, the, the, my favorite scene in the, in the entirety of this movie is when he comes over asking Charlie for a of
0: beer. a hmm And Charlie keeps There's him at bay.
1: There's so much tension there.
0: Oh, it's fantastic.
1: There is, he, his eyes are constantly darting. He's looking at everything. He's watching everything um and then when he starts to talk to charlie about how his girl is ripe and his mom's putting it out mm. and
0: there yeah that's there's ugh. <laughs> a
1: creep misogynistic factor there which mm-hmm. is accurate because he's 400 years old um but there's also that subtle underlying threat which i like because the original one's a little mm-hmm. too hardcore a little too just forthright with, I'm going to give you a choice. Forget me, or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Here, it's, it's a little more subtle and a little more underneath the skin. And that gives me... I just <laughs> send a chill <laughs> down my spine. He
0: is so much better than this movie really <laughs> demands him to be, or needs him to be. and
1: He walks it, through it, that yeah. crowd in, in the club, and you are terrified. You're not. Yeah, he's hot, but not in the way that Chris Sarandon is. When Chris Sarandon walked through the club, you're like, you know, I just want to go fuck this guy. Whereas (laughs) Colin Farrell walks towards you and it's I don't care what the vibe is. I don't care what the music is. You can pump things through the air. I'm getting the fuck out of here.
0: (laughs) But maybe perhaps on this note is a good note to uh, wrap things up. All right. Okay. You can find the 1985 version of Fright Night on Roku, Sling, Prime, Voodoo, and Apple TV. And the 2011 version of Fright Night is available on Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo.
1: Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we're available on iTunes and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or hit directly there,
0: search, and hit subscribe. We'll be back next time <laughs> with another retro review looking at its 20th anniversary coming up in a couple of weeks. The big old Christmas movie, Love Actually. That happens to be somebody's, one of their favorite films.
1: And that is all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. And we're out! <laughs>